Hello and welcome to Crying in the Book Club. I am Emily and I am hosting tonight's episode. I'm here with uh, John Luke. Hi, John. Hi, I do this podcast. Purportedly. <laughs> I, 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 I have hosted four episodes of this podcast. Uh, I don't, I've lost Is track. it four? I don't know how many numbers. You're not supposed to lose track until you get into the double digits, but I have already started. It doesn't help that we switch hosting on episodes. So it makes it hard, yeah. But we are here with our first guest co-host, Alice. Hi, Alice. Hi. Hello, Alice. Uh, Hello. We used to be a podcast about comic books. And we still are a podcast about comic books, but just yeah, much to some people's chagrin, a little bit differently, much to our own chagrin, I think. But uh, we have Alice, my friend here. Alice, why don't you introduce yourself? Um, hi, my name is Alice. Um, I actually I'm on another podcast with you, Panda. Imagine being Utsuna. Yes. Uh, we've been doing that for a zillion years. I don't know how long. Since the beginning of time, I think. I think so. Um, and I was actually pretty excited to do this one, partially because I have been listening to Kogi for a very long time. Oh, we're going to get into that for sure. Uh, as listeners, as you probably know, because you've seen the title of this episode, we are talking about... Uh, the Amory Wars, a comic book series uh, based on the work of the band Coheed and Cambria. And the reason that I, because I put this episode together, this was my idea, uh, much to my, again, chagrin, as I remembered that I would need to read 24 comics for this. Uh, Just be glad it's not 36 and two novels. Could have. I would never read a novel for any <laughs> podcast. That That is a, a hard rule that I have taken on every show that I've been on so far. I will never read well, the whole book. There goes the inevitable Imagine Me and Utena episode about Shell Bullet. Well, we, I mean, first, Shell Bullet would have to be in English, but we did do an episode of Imagine Me and Utena about a book that I did specifically refuse to read. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. We are talking about the Amory Wars. Uh, specifically, we are talking about the second and third <laughs> entries of the Amory Wars. The reason we are not starting with the first entry in the Amory Wars uh, series is because on our previous podcast, we did talk about second stage turbine blade the first album and then uh comic adaptation of it from coheed and cambria and it was not what i would call well received by the other hosts of the comics podcast yeah. you may notice that alex isn't here this week alex conveniently had a reason to not be here this alex week. alex read two issues of in keeping secrets of Sonner three and swore that he would end claudio sanchez's life with his bare hands i've never seen alex so angry and alex reads aquaman well well as i found out this week apparently he's not reading the new aquaman book i i was the one who was in the group chat being like hey there's a new aquaman book anyone reading it and apparently it's just me just you. Which, 
by the time this episode comes out, that will no longer be the new Aquaman book. But you know, Alex has has forsaken his his uh, quote unquote favorite DC character. But I wanted to do this episode because you are the two people in my life that I can talk to about the Amory Wars because uh, you're the only two people that I know that like the Amory Wars. And like, well, okay, that Don't like say that about me. <laughs> like the music of Coheed and Cambria, and by extension, have a passing interest in the Amory Wars. I'm willing to say that I like the Amory Wars. I may not like it for the reason that Claudia wants me to like it, but I do like it. Yeah, that's that. That's that's totally fair. It is. It is the. It is the Neil Breen of. Um, Cody Cambry is the Neil Breed of prog rock. That's really good, actually. Highly specific. Um, they don't actually know how plot works. And yet, what, it, it, imbibing of their media is enjoyable in a high degree, to yeah, a high degree. So. I've just realized as we are having this conversation that I'm going to, I have in the notes to ask both of you about like your history with Coheed and Cambria and the Amory Wars, but I do want to bring up because I didn't make this connection until just now that the, that Coheed and Cambria is actually sort of a part of Alice and I's friendship history because Okay, so Alice and I technically went to the same event in high school and didn't know each other and then became friends afterwards and realized that we were in the same place. But the reason that I know that we were both at this same academic event was because Alice at a talent show uh, during the, it was like a weekend event thing. It, it was youth legislature. I don't know. If you're f- familiar, but nerd uh, shit. yeah, it was fucking nerd shit in high school. Uh, I got bullied into it by my history professor or my history Same. teacher. Uh, she was not a professor. Uh, I got bullied into it by my history teacher, but I did youth leg. And one night there was a talent show and Alice got up and played Faber House Atlantic on guitar. And I like barely knew who Coheed and Cambria was at the time. And I didn't know who Alice was at the time. But then years later, through an unrelated fandom, Alice and I became friends. And I like realized we had youth like friends in common and then made the whole connection back to the talent show because I recognized from like her photos on Facebook to the person that I saw play a Coheed and Cambria song at the talent show. Which she's going to reprise for us right now. I mean, I have a guitar right here. <laughs> we have also, Alice, has, Alice and I live a couple hours apart in real life. So, like, Alice has come to my house and we have, like, jammed out to, like, we've played Coheed and Cambria songs together, essentially. Like, her playing my ukulele. It's, it's very fun. But anyway... So, we should probably talk about what the Amory Wars is, because <laughs> that's kind of important. I, I, I would say so. Uh, the Amory Wars is, and all of this I have cribbed from uh, various Wikipedia pages and uh, fan wikis, 
But uh, Amory Wars is an ongoing series of science fiction comic books and novels created by Coheed and Cambria frontman Claudio Sanchez. Get used to hearing us talk about Claudio. He's going to come up a lot in various ways. Yeah. <laughs> and the comics are published by Evil Inc. Comics, which I believe Claudio owns. Claudio. Uh, yeah. yeah, Claudio and Chandra co-own it, I'm pretty sure, is the is the deal there. But Also has a couple of, uh, he also has at least one or two side projects out of Evil Inc. as well. But not yeah. the one he should have made, which is Brother's Blood Machine. <laughs> oh my god, if you want to talk about never getting an adaptation of the first Prize Fighter album, I am here for that. I've never listened to Prize Fighter Inferno in my life. Wow. Yeah. That's not true. That's not true. I, th- I thought I made you listen to the Nightmare on Elm Street song. No, uh, well, no, the, w- that wasn't a Prize Fighter Inferno song, was it? That is a that is a Prize Fighter Inferno okay. song. Well, I forgot. <laughs> Elm Street Loverboy, the number one Prize Fighter Inferno I do, song. I do like Elm Street Loverboy. Oh, I love Elm Street Loverboy. Uh, because I am I am eternally a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street lover. but And, and I love when, uh, <laughs> this is not related to any of this, but I love when Coheed and Cambria write stupid horror songs. I love uh, Jesse's Girl too. <laughs> like, I love this shit so much. But anyway, uh, I guess, yes, I have listened to one Prizefighter Inferno song, but that's it. Um, we're not here to talk about Prizefighter Inferno. We are here to talk about... Well, we are going to talk about the Prizefighter well, Inferno. Yes, the the band, not the, the man. <laughs> Uh, the name The Amory Wars uh, refers to uh, the fictional conflict at the center of the story, which is told across the published works. It is also the primary focus of the band's music. The Amory Wars is set in a, the world of uh, the Heaven's Fence, a collection of 78 planets and seven stars held in place by an interconnecting beam of energy known as the Keywork. Uh, each band or each of Coheen Cambria's studio albums, with the exception of 2015's The Color Before the Sun, tells a chapter in the saga originally narrated by Coheed coheed by claudio's lyrics uh the band also makes use of recurring melodies self-referencing music musical and lyrical cues in certain songs that reference key moments in the amory wars mythology uh the mythos isn't wholly comprehensible through the music and lyrics alone which is why one of the reasons why these comic books exist aside from being a, a vanity project uh Claudio created the Amory Wars comics and novels to better depict the story's events and characters. The story arcs in keeping sequence of Silent Earth 3, Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear, Through the Eyes of Madness, which I have written out in its entirety in most of the notes, but we'll probably not read all of it. But I think it's very funny to just have it all there because it is. Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star 4, uh, Volume 1, From Fear, Through the Eyes of Madness. And- if you think that's 
sounds cool. Wait until you hear who Apollo is. <laughs> Good Apollo. I'm Burning Star for Volume 2, No World for Tomorrow. Uh, focus on the heroic journey of Claudio Kilgannon, uh, distinct from Claudio Sanchez, the real human man, uh, I guess. Uh, son of Coheed and Cambria, the band's namesake, characters in the story, uh, and uh, Claudio's journey to assume the mantle of the crowing, the special boy, as for the foretold savior of Heaven's Fence. Or Destroyer. The, the Destroyer, yes. Uh, Is there really a difference? <laughs> Maybe. One of, the, one of the key questions Claudio poses in, in these comics. One of the many questions posed by uh, the Amory Wars. Uh, Coheen Cambria's uh, first four studio album releases uh, told the main story in chronological order, with each release picking up the story where the last album left off. In order, they are... Second stage turbine blade in keeping is in keeping secrets of Silent Earth three good Apollo and Burning Star four volume one from fear through the eyes of madness and good Apollo and Burning Star four volume two no world for tomorrow although no world for tomorrow has yet to receive a published comic or novel and therefore its events are largely left to speculation as. Most of the other uh, works in their discography were prior to uh, recent years. Who knows what the fuck is going on with that one? Uh, no World for Tomorrow acts as the conclusion to the original Amory Wars story, supposedly. We will find out, I guess. Uh <clears throat> In 2004, the first graphic series related to the Amory Wars was published with Evil Inc.'s release of The Bag Online Adventures, the second stage Turbine Blade, written by Claudio and illustrated by Wes Abbott. Uh, however, after two issues were published, the project was discontinued due to creative roadblocks, including Sanchez's touring schedule with Coheed and Cambria. These original issues were later included in the Amory Wars Second Stage Turbine Blade Ultimate Edition, which I have. I have not read the original version. Do you own it physically? No, I have the. Oh, oh. I have it on digital. Okay. I was. I was going to be very fascinated if you had. Okay, I did use copies to. of Amory Wars comics. I did. Okay, actually, this is gonna probably. I should. I will, this will come up more later, but okay. there are circumstances that led to me owning the physical copies of uh, a lot of these comics for a period of time. Uh, we'll, we will get to that. Uh, Evil Inc. then released uh, The Good Apollo, I'm Burning Star for Volume 1, From Fear, Through the Eyes of Madness, graphic novel in 2005 to accompany the release of Coheen Cambria's third studio album of the same name. This publication was again written by Sanchez and illustrated by Christopher Shy. Unlike the previous release for Second Stage Turbine Blade, this graphic novel told the entire story of Good Apollo Volume 1, uh, the Good Apollo... The Good Apollo Volume 1 album, though many details were still unclear. John, you've read this, correct? 
the, uh, the yeah, like, my memory is going to be super fuzzy because I That's read this fine. I mean, in like 2011 or something. But yes, I, I have, or probably after that, but I have read it, yes. Well, it is also just sort of fuzzy as a work in and of itself. So even if you yes. could remember it in its entirety, it's not like that would help. Yeah, no, I will say I remember it looking gorgeous. Oh yeah, the I, art is great. I have not read the whole thing, but I have seen some of the art and it is uh, really cool. Some of it, I think, I think they like use like either photos or like highly realistic drawings of Mr. Uh, Claudio Sanchez. <laughs> we are talking about Good Apollo, right? The, yeah, the, Good the Apollo. original Good Apollo that came out in 2005. Okay, because like... That's if that's the one I'm thinking of. It reminded me a lot of I don't know if you guys have read this, but the Dark Tower comics. Uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm uh, unfamiliar, but the art style of those oh, the Marvel published ones from like the early yeah. 2000s. Yeah, it was it, it kind of reminded me of the stylistically of those. Funny because written by frequent Claudio Sanchez uh, collaborator Peter David. Uh, oh, <laughs> so. oh yeah we'll we'll get to peter david he's important here it always reminded me of um the uh, arkham asylum a serious house on serious earth uh the okay. grant morrison dave stewart book well grant um, morrison's gonna come up later yeah unfortunately uh during a 2006 interview, Claudio cited financial constraints for the irregular and unfinished release of the story's publications and explained that Evil Inc. intended to publish new comics under the title The Amory Wars that would retell the concept chronologically, which was a lie. Well, I mean, a little bit. Uh, think chronologically and then not start at the beginning no no he, ha he has to go back and we need like the sixth album prequel to the aftermath and then he'll be ready to start the actual chronological we need to go back to the point where the universe is created yeah and work <laughs> yes. our way if this is it's due he, he needs to rip off dune he hasn't ripped it off yet yeah yeah he he hasn't written an album that explains like word for word what's in the Gonscrod. Uh, <laughs> oh so no we, we need this yeah then oh, one no, of the did. one of the coheed wikis that i consulted for this episode is called the Gonscrod. yeah that is the, the name of the coheed wiki well there's like there's Gonscrod wiki and then there's just like a coheed wiki so i think they're just like Two similar but distinct, uh, unless I guess I don't know. Maybe they are connected, but like I, there there were pages on the Gonscrod wiki that were like more complete than ones on the Coheed wiki. Well, so. of course, it's called the Gonscrod. Like the people yeah. there, they know what they're talking about. The Gonscrod's like basically the Bible. We can just like put that there. My Bible. Yeah, it's my Bible. Uh, so we are, re we read for this episode, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 and Good Apollo and Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness. Uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 is the second installment of the Amory Wars. The album came out in 2003. The comic came out between 2010 and 2011. The comic was co-written by Claudio Sanchez and Peter David, who we mentioned earlier. Chris Burnham illustrated chapters one through seven. Aaron Cooter 
illustrated uh, the remaining 8 through 12. Uh, Good Apollo and Burning Star for Volume 1 from Fear Through the Eyes of Madness is the third installment in the Amory Wars. The album came out in 2005. The comic came out between 2017 and 2018. Uh, it was primarily written by Claudio's wife, Chandra Eschert, and illustrated by Rags Morales. Uh, Chandra writing this adaptation is kind of bananas for like personal real world reasons. Uh, the album that this is based off of was mostly written during a period of time in which Claudio and Chandra were broken up and he is very clearly dealing with his breakup in this album. It's like the, whatever the exact opposite of um, Rumors by Fleetwood Mac is, is literally every Coheed album. But then they kind of flipped it on me again by Chandra working on the adaptation of it. Like, you know, this is a this is deeply messed up, but also <laughs> special about it. I find it fascinating. <laughs> I of all the conversations in the history of humanity, if I could be a fly on the wall, I would want to be able to overhear the conversation where like they there the decision was made that Chandra would write this book because like they have not I I tried to look into like some interviews about this I like didn't do a lot of cursory like I didn't do a lot of research there was probably more that I could have looked into but as far as I could see nothing really like got to like how it came to be that she was the person writing this comic and i just it's just fascinating to me it might be germane to point out that um we also i think it's not an accident that um we also get a change in the way the story goes oh yes point. we will definitely and i think it's probably related to the conversations about that, that what happened with this yes yes there are a lot of changes that are made to the presentation of the events in uh good apollo and burning star four from uh volume one through fear from fear through the eyes you of gotta say I that a different way. I, I was trying to do it off the top of my head at that point. I didn't have it actually written in front of me. But um, there are events in that that are framed differently in the comic version, which is inevitably as a result of Chandra being the one writing, the, writing it as opposed to Claudio. Uh, but it is important to note that Claudio does not have a writer credit on this book like chandra is the sole writer claudio is credited for the story and that's it uh you're still busy writing vaxus <laughs> we're gonna find out the vaxus is like a just like six just herculean novels and they're all just like some mixture of whatever the fuck the writing for this was combined with whatever the fuck um the right, whatever the fuck is going on in, um, God, what's it called? Whatever other project the House of Leaves guy has been working on forever. <laughs> Danny Lusky, thank you. Unfortunately, I, I hate to bring your world crashing down, but uh, the story of Vaxis is contained in an 80 page novella included in the deluxe release. Of yeah, that's the demo. Yeah, that's the demo. demo. <laughs> 
That's level one. That's that's level one of the demo. This is how they did with you. All right. Yeah. Hey. I mean, I've done. I would read. It probably says a lot about how utterly obliterated my brain is that I would read an 800 page Claudio Sanchez novel. But imagine what he could do in 800 pages. I fear. I fear what he could do in 800 pages is actually the real the real thing here. Uh, so. What happens in, in Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3? Uh, is, is that a question? Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, actually, <laughs> I want you to tell me right now. I have it written okay. in the notes, but I... Okay, I'm not going to look at the notes. No, don't look in the notes. I want you to tell me right now. Yeah, okay. So, uh, right off the bat, uh, there's some shit about jackhammers, uh-huh. which I assume are and like And your own cool- jackhammer. Yeah, they're like some cool mechs or something. The good guys definitely use them. Oh, definitely. Chorus in the song, one hundred percent. Definitely not fight, the Red Army. Yeah, they fight a battle with them. Um, it doesn't go that well. Uh, there's someone named Chase, and someone really wants Chase. I assume it's Claudio, uh, but I'm not. I can't be sure. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Something about wings being burned off. That's got to be one of the prize. I assume. You know, they never say any of the prizes names in the songs, which is all I listen to. So I assume I, I actually wait. No. Oh, what's her name? They mention her in the next. Uh, Ambelina. That's it. Of course. I think it's her wings being burned off. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a blood red summer. Not really sure what that. I assume it's like they're fighting in the what summer. Did I do to yeah. Um, a bunch of white girls get massacred and then they run away from, I'm not really sure what the connection between that and the rest of the story is, but then there's a cool thing that happens where like everyone's running away and there's like a sniper covering them and the sniper is like a really cool- Hold on, hold on, hold on. Did you say a sniper? A sniper. Sniper! Anyway, I assume that sniper is a cool and normal guy. Very cool Uh, and normal (laughs) guy. Um, And then they get away, and that's the end of In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3. Oh, you're like so... You're like so close and on the mark, actually, is is what's really crazy. Look, you got the vibe of it. Except for all the songs that were good. Except for everything about it. Um, except for all the bangers, which uh, you, have you ever seen the? You somehow movie? only managed to do the parts of those of the covered by the, the ones that are not as fun to play, <laughs> with the sole exception of keeping secrets itself. But that's the title, so it doesn't really count. Have hey, you ever... I mentioned three Art of the Crowing. Actually, I didn't mention three. No, we didn't. <laughs> Damn. Have you ever seen that's not the best song on the album? <laughs> what am I doing? Have you ever seen the 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 meme that says "Never ask a woman her age, a man his salary," and then the last entry on this is Claudio Sanchez, what his bangers are about. <laughs> Because it's always violence towards women. It's always violence towards women. I mean, if you look at the singles from early Coheed, Mm -hmm. the very first one, I believe, Mm -hmm. isn't the very first one, uh, Jersey City? Mm -hmm. I think think technically everything. Very cool song. Oh, you mean everything? Everything everything is also about about killing Josephine. So. You're you not have a problem with her. Claudio. Oh. Yeah. 
It's so cool. It's so cool. So good. Um, so the the plot, at least according to Evil Ink Comics, the plot of, uh, or at least the plot summary of In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 is uh, 10 years after the second stage turbine blade, son Claudio emerges from the depths of Shiloh's 10. The fence Son Claudio? Is this like Son Goku situation? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the fence's quiet planet where the Red Army performs its brutal interrogations and imprisonments. In finding out that his entire family has been murdered, Claudio begins his quest for Vendetta. His foes, Supreme Tri-Mage Wilhelm Ryan. Hold on, I have a sound effect. That's that's Wilhelm Ryan's sound effect? Yeah. Well, no, sure. because um, I should really be sounding that for the other antagonist of uh, this series, General uh, Mayo Defton Wolf. There you go. Oh, uh, and we also we have a better sound effect. We do have a better sound effect for him. We need him. Hero of the people, Mayo Death. Hero of the people. Hero of the people. Yeah. Uh, they sense the- Hero of the Soviet Union Red Army, an icon of communism. <laughs> Why did you call it that, Claudio? The Red Army is a real thing in real life. It was around for a long time! Why is it called Paris Earth? Why you were alive when it was a thing! You were literally alive when it was still a thing, Claudio! <laughs> Claudio's foes since Why is his name Hades? <laughs> they sense that he is still alive and holds special powers. They know they must stop him before he defeats them. Meanwhile, Inferno, parentheses, Jesse Kilgannon. Takes up arms against the Red Army. Uh, quote, man your battle stations. Uh, in an effort to seek the same kind of vengeance on him, in Claudio's reemergence, he teams up with Ambelina, the prize, who is selected by her peers to be his guide. The pair, along with Sizer, a disassembled iRobot, not uh, the movie or the the. A book, short story, I don't fucking know. Short story collection. Uh, but uh, iRobot seek out Inferno to find answers as to why his family were killed. But their plans take an unexpected turn in a ship called the Camper Valorium. No, it's called the Valorium Camper. Why did they say this? Uh, <laughs> and a freighter pilot named... See, it's, con- it's contested because they did change the names of those songs. Yeah, but the... In the comic, they call it the Valorium Camper. They do. How the killer says the words. Yeah, the Valorium Valorium Camper. Camper. So what is the truth? What is the truth? You'll be happier if you just go by bias. (laughs) I mean, that's not a joke. Like, this this, this is the one thing Claudio does really well. Like, we joke about all his really stupid names. But, like, he is a creature of vibes. And the work that he has made is filled to the brim with emotive vibes. That's it true. works. As long as you completely don't think about it until after you're done feeling As long vibe. as you don't think about it for a single second. 
when, when he says a proper noun in a song, it imbues you with such emotion. So you're just like, this means something. Which I assume how he comes up with the names. Is he just says random syllables or looks at a word and is like, what if that meant something? <laughs> Mayo. What if that Mayo was a capital like a Star letter? What if I capitalized that? So, uh... Good Apollo and Burning Star 4, Volume 1, From Fear Through the Eyes of Madness, is the story of, uh, well, it it takes a step outside the science fiction narrative of the first three chapters and examines the life of the writer, a character who is crafting the lives of the protagonist, Claudio, and his companions in the form of a fictional story. It's worth noting, technically, my plot description that I have right here is for the original, uh, in, uh, or the original Good Apollo comic, uh, the graphic novel, uh, which only has, it has some differences, uh, but it has a lot of the same plot beats. So technically I thought that this plot summary still worked. The like only major difference in this case is that instead of calling him the writer, uh, they call him Ryder, like coward's move. R Y D E R, which I agree is the coward's move. Uh, it does kind of it removes a little bit of the like <laughs> hilarious gravitas from. Song that. is called the writing writer, not the writing writer. Well, he is still like writer is I- writing writer. Like yeah. they just, I don't know. I guess. To make it a little less, they should have just made his Christian name Prize Fire Inferno. That's <laughs> to make it a little less silly, I guess uh, they they did give him a real human name, which Ryder is. Uh, just call him Claudio. <laughs> well, there's already another Claudio, and that already gets confusing. So that would have gotten even more confusing. Uh, but. Uh, Ryder is a character who is crafting the lives of the protagonist Claudio and his companions in the form of a fictional story, which is what the Amory Wars is. Through a series of delusional conversations with his 10-speed bicycle about an unfaithful former lover, uh, put a pin in that, uh, the writer decides he must kill the prize Ambelina to properly end his story. The events in the narrative itself build up to a final confrontation between Jesse's rebel forces and the Red Army of Supreme Trimage Wilhelm Ryan under the command of General Mayo Deftonwolf, as well as a literal meeting of Ryder and Claudio culminating in the death of Ambelina and Claudio's emergence as the crowing. Which is his special boy powers. Uh, the 2017 comic ends differently than the original 2005 graphic novel. I, because I did not get to read the original graphic novel before this, I don't have a lot of specific uh, comparison. But I know how the 2017 comic ends, and I kind of know how the 2005 comic ends so i feel like we can probably cover it uh over the course of our conversation here Mm -hmm. uh so what i want to know before we get into the nitty-gritty of all this is uh how did the two of you end up getting into the band coheed and cambria 
Alice, you're the guest. Um, I assume I, you didn't see someone at a talent show play Favor House Atlantic and think it was a really cool song. <laughs> well, that wasn't how I got into Coheed and Cambria. No, I, clear. no, no, no. I, I, I know that you were into them before then. But. Well, um, I, we'll get into that. First, but. The first thing, I, first song I've heard of them is actually um, coming, Welcome Home by, um, that was on, I think, you either Guitar Hero or... It was GarageBand, I thought. Okay, I thought. And oh, um, the Apple Music editing software. No, not, no rock band, not rock band. Um, and I really liked it. And my first Coheed album was actually No World for Tomorrow. Okay. Um, I was bewildered because it was extremely different. Yeah. Um, and then I kind of went worked my way back. I um. I went from that one all the way to second stage. Okay. Um, which I liked a lot. I like No World for Tomorrow a lot more now, but um, I liked second stage a lot more at the time because I really liked post-hardcore. Um, I grew up listening to a lot of metalcore bands, and post-hardcore was something I understood a lot more at that point. And they have They were my favorite band for a very long time. I believe that. What about you, John? Um, um, yeah, I, I think that makes Alice you the longest listening Coheed in Cambria. Well, John, you are a literal human infant. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I came out of the womb six months ago. and I, They did the opposite of what they did to Chase to me. They were like, we need to make it, give him the mind of a five-year-old and the body of an adult. And <laughs> That's uh, so. That's why I like Coheed and Cambria. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. Coheed and Cambria probably is my favorite band. Yeah, um, I don't know. Maybe Shoe Shoes. I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but uh, yeah, I got into Coheed. I had a friend who uh, actually on an uh, this is gonna reveal that I, my you know nerd shit comment earlier was uh unfounded uh it was on an academic games trip uh where one of my friends showed me coheed and cam turned me on to coheed and cambria uh this was like right when the broken came out which is the first single on um year of the black rainbow and then he showed like he played a bunch of songs for me like a, like you know welcome home and keeping secrets 10 speed uh and then i listened to you're the black rainbow when it came out and i was like yeah this is this is good this is all right um, but I didn't really go back and listen to uh, to the older albums aside from, like I said, a selection of the of the singles until uh, the first Afterman album came out, and I listened to that because I was like, yeah, I guess I'm a I enjoy Coheed, uh, and absolutely adored that. That like blew the doors off in terms of really liking Coheed and made me be like, oh shit, maybe I should you know actually go back and listen to all the other stuff. Um, which I which I did and liked a lot of it and liked a lot of that stuff as well, um, but still I think probably liked the Afterman more. Um, but yeah, that was sort of my history. So I, I really like listened to a lot of this stuff for the first time and became like got really super into it uh, around the time the Afterman came out and read the comics that were available at the time, um, which was Second Stage and In Keeping Secrets. Uh, or may, I don't know if In Keeping Secrets was finished at that point. It wasn't. I don't think it was. It 
it probably wouldn't have been finished, but like it was definitely around that same time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, since then I've been um, in the Claudio Sanchez hole. Haven't been able to get out. Um, Did you like Year of the Black Rainbow? Uh, I thought it was okay. I okay. Really embarrassing thing. Far was one of my favorite songs when I was in like ninth or tenth grade. I loved Far. Um, it's not bad. I, I think that song sucks now, but um, I will say I now have found myself a, a being a year of the Black Rainbow defender. Um, even though my, what used to be my favorite song is now. I pearl the stars is worse, but it far gets close. Ooh, um, that's fighting words. But uh, you know, I actually really like a lot of the other songs on Year of the Black Rainbow. Now I know a lot of people hate the production. I love yeah. the production on Year of the Black Rainbow. Um, <clears throat> when skeletons live is a banger, and the flame of an error is like probably a top ten Coheed song for me. Um, the singles are all great. Uh, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really good album. I, I think it like it's. Not up there with, you know, these two and, and the Afterman records, but probably right behind those in my personal ordering of the of the Coheed albums. Um, am I alone? Am, am I, you know, similar to the rest of the Coheed fan? Am I alone in, in liking Year of the Black Rainbow on this podcast? Or I, I mostly ask, um, partially as a segue. Wait, into before you even segue. Right. Yeah. I have a history with Coheed and Cambria. Oh my gosh, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, you saw someone play Favorite House Atlantic at a talent show. That's true, yes. but that's not how I, I got into this. Coheed and You're like, yo, did she write that song? Damn, <laughs> impressive. I, I actually played uh, Claudio's uh, acoustic arrangement, by the way, that he did for a <laughs> Okay, so uh, before hearing Alice play this song at a talent show, I was like aware of Favor House Atlantic because I had a friend that really liked this song. This was not, I didn't like hear it like on the radio very much, but I like my friend Ryan in like early high school was really into this song. So like, I also heard it and I was like, Oh, this is cool. And I liked it. I did not really listen to Coheed for pretty much all the rest of high school. Uh, I like was not aware that there was any sort of lore. Honestly, if I had known, I probably would have gotten into them a lot sooner just because of who I am as a person. But uh, I just like heard this song and I was like, Oh, this is cool and catchy. And then like, didn't give it a second thought until uh, I was in community college right out of high school and i was dating a person alice who was really into coheed and cambria um and i'm not gonna we're this is not gonna devolve into talking about that very much but it is sort of important because like uh this is also like a person who saw himself as um sort of like a coheed type he had like a a sci-fi epic that he was trying to write that had an associated album and like was very transparently about people in his life and also he had a song titled casting quarters and so that makes hearing a certain coheed song uh weird for me in a lot of ways, but so I started dating this person and I like found out that he was into Coheed and Cambria. So I was like, Oh, well like there's apparently like this 
this concept album. I like concept albums. I'll check this out. So uh, this would have been like 2011, 2012. And uh, the second stage Turbine Blade comic was out. And uh, I don't remember if the uh, in uh, in Keeping Secrets comic was out yet or if it I think maybe it had started. Uh, but anyway, so like I started listening to the albums and reading the comics like at the same time. Uh, and I actually for a period of time, I had physical copies of second stage turbine blade and uh and keeping secrets of silent earth 3 uh like graphic novels that i had bought on amazon that uh when i broke up with this person ended up staying at their house very unfortunately uh f's in the chat everybody for my long book i'm spamming f for that f's in the chat uh for that but, uh, so I just sort of, like, I, I started to get into Coheed, and then, like, shortly after that was when Afterman started coming out, and, like, so that was my first, like, new album that I really got to be into at the time, and I got really into Afterman. I feel like it was probably my favorite album for a long time, and it's still very high for, well, not favorite album, like, of all time, but favorite Coheed album, and... I feel like it's still pretty high, but I might put uh, In Keeping Secrets of Silent Earth 3 above it now. Uh, it's close. I, haven't, I, I would need to really think about what my whole... I haven't done like a ranking in a long time, but I've... Uh, we'll do a tier list after the show. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to make it <laughs> for sure. But, uh, so, yeah, most of my, like, getting to know Coheed also came alongside getting to know the lore... <laughs> So that that falls into my next question. At what point were you aware that there was a sprawling sci-fi epic associated with the music? I was aware pretty much immediately because that was like part of the selling point. Okay. Was that it had this whole sci-fi thing. Um, but I didn't read it all. I didn't read it immediately. I there was a long time where I would just like listen, even like after I, you know, got into got into them when the Afterman came out, where I would just like listen to songs, and be like, oh, I kind of know what this song is about, mm-hmm. but I had really no idea, um, it, as it turns out. Um, so, but yeah, no, it was it was like I was aware of it almost immediately, and it was like a probably a year or two after I afterwards that I, you know, actually you know read it and learned what was happening. What about you, Alice? I knew immediately. Yeah? It was a major selling point. Um, I had always been into prog rock. I mean, my first favorite band was Kansas. That makes um, sense. I still am like, I went like Kansas. I got to get into music that people my age like, and now I'm just back there again. <laughs> um, just It's moves, man. Just like moves. Um I knew immediately. I knew that there were comics because I ra- I found one in Hot Topic one day, back when we went to Hot Topic in the dark ages. Of the well, and ago. back when Hot Topic carried like magazines and comic books, they don't really do that anymore. Which, yeah, I was about to say. By the way, they used to do that all the time. Hot Topic <laughs> back then was a lot cooler. Oh, yeah, yeah, Hot Topic Jonathan, was a lot cooler. John Link did not uh, grow up in the United States. Uh, in early years, so is they used to carry as the occasional novel. Some of our our cultural 
Uh, yeah, they, they used to have magazines. They had novels. I, I absolutely bought books at Hot Topic when I was a lot of A lot of pretty good um, sort of more indie-flavored comics got a lot of traffic. A lot of Equally the Strange of, comics, I'm sure you can yeah. imagine. Dark Horse got a lot of... Johnny um, the Homicidal well, Maniac, maybe. Dark, Dark Horse had the, like, Gerard Way yeah. connection, too, which probably... Yeah, they, they, well, yeah, they but even the, like Umbrella Academy didn't come out until like much later. Uh, Umbrella Academy is like 2006-ish, I think. But yeah. Okay, uh, I was maybe thinking it was a few years later than that, but you're probably right. I could be wrong. But yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I was just speculating. Yeah. I know nothing about Hot Topic. But yeah, they, they carried like, you could get like, you know, AP and Rolling Stone at your local Hot Topic as well as like books and... Uh, Wait, AP like the Associated Press? No, no, like Alternative Press. Sorry. Oh, oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. No, that, <laughs> no, that was on me. The entire Associated Press was. <laughs> I was like, no. hey, I didn't know there was a physical like Associated Press thing. Uh, no, sorry. I think <laughs> when I think of AP, like even though I know that it's Associated Press, like I still see like in my mind like the big yeah. AP logo on the front of Alternative Press uh, magazine. But uh, yeah, you could get books and, and magazines at uh, Hot Topic. Fascinating. And so I guess they did carry the Coheed comics, which makes sense to me. I didn't know that, but I probably wouldn't have been into Coheed at the time that they were carrying Coheed comics at Hot Topic. But that's very funny. <laughs> I'm just imagining you, Alice, going into your, your local Hot Topic in redacted mississippi uh and getting a a coheed comic i actually did buy one that's great um did you so like how what was the process of like deciding that you were gonna read these comics or like get acquainted with like the the actual story the lore I, I mean, I, I was I wanted to know the lore. That was part of it, but it also was happening like around like Afterman came out around the same time as the D DC's New Fifty Two. So it was like the same time that I got really into Coheed and Cambria. I got really into a lot of dog shit DC comics. That makes sense. Um, some really good ones. Some really good ones. Um, but yeah, I was sort of like I was already reading comics, and I was like, you know, I I, I was literally like doing the thing where I was, they, they used to do this, which now I, I think doesn't happen so much anymore, but used to go onto like the pirate bay on like th Wednesday night, Thursday morning. And there would be like a torrent that was a folder of every comic that came out that week. Oh, um, huh. and I was just in the stage of like, I would download the whole thing and like anything that looks interesting, I would read it. Uh, and one of them had in keeping secrets in it. Cause that was when that was coming out. And I was like, yeah. Oh, Hey, that's like that's that album. I should read that. And, okay, uh, yeah. that's fun. Yeah. So, uh, what about you, Alice? Was it just like you picked up the? I was like, wait, there's comics of these because I had, I, I mean, I read the, the whole story on a wiki because I'm a millennial, of course. Um, and I was delighted when I picked it up. Yeah. Um, I like. I'm a lot more charitable to it. When I at the time I liked it because it was lore, and yeah. now I can appreciate it as a kind of outsider art. 
Okay. Which sounds funny, but I almost think it would count because it's definitely out there. Well, I mean, I would say like it's outsider enough that I had trouble like when I was trying to track down like a a download or something of the original in or uh, the original Good Apollo graphic mm. novel. I was having a hard time finding it, which I thought was very weird i assumed that that would have been pretty like widely distributed because like i know that coheed is like a little niche but like they're pretty popular like they've had some some hits they got a a passionate fan base i assumed i'd be able to find this easy peasy lemon squeezy and i could not yeah it is incredibly hard to find the original good apollo now Uh, Um, which is weird also because i was listening back to uh episodes of the amory score a coheed and cambria podcast that john luke and i like a lot Uh, i was listening to episodes of that podcast where they talked about the in keeping secrets and the good apollo comics and like they had copies i'm gonna I'm going to up my abnormal matri- mapping Patreon subscription so that I can ask Jackson how Jackson Tyler from that podcast how they got their hands on that. Apparently Molly were- talked about having a physical copy. So like That is incredible. I yeah, because that I, I had at one point a digital copy of it on a hard drive that was corrupted years ago. Well, I and I meant- I've tried multiple times to find torrents or find it illegally because cannot buy it well you can as i mentioned in our group chat uh earlier i think today you can get the ultimate edition of the is also out of print the new oh really yeah I, i looked up the it seems to be at least i looked up the version that that you mentioned and that I because the, thought I saw it's like a hardcover. I thought I saw it on Amazon, but maybe not. Well, maybe on Amazon, but from secondhand sellers, I, I could be wrong. But yeah, it is it is hard to find. Is the 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 takeaway there? Yeah, uh, but yeah, it the Good Apollo and Burning Star Four Ultimate Edition, which you can currently buy on Amazon in hardcover for forty one dollars, uh, new or. 3186 used uh so you can get it uh in in physical in some way but it does contain the original uh good apollo comic which again i have not read uh but supposedly has good art i have seen some of the art and i thought it was it was pretty good so um should talk about the comics we should we should talk about the comic there's so the, the problem with 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 amory wars there's so much setup that you have to do to it bring people along who have never feels like like, like coheed heads like feels like word vomit to describe yeah it's word salad to describe anything that happens in these comics which uh was replicated just a couple of days ago with alice and i in real life as we <laughs> i i went to visit alice so that we could go see a movie and uh it it was me and alice and alice's wife Cass, and alice and i were talking about the amory wars uh just because we were leading up to this recording and Cass was like i feel like i'm having a stroke listening to you guys and it's not inaccurate uh yeah it's hard to explain how you know 
Wilhelm Ryan, you know, legally proves that he is gone. How Jesse, uh, Jesse the Inferno kill Ganon uh, accepts the premise that Wilhelm Ryan is gone in a court. That he might be gone. Yeah. It's God. What a, what an issue. I mean, I guess like it's, it's coming at these as like, I, they're, they're not that good. Uh, is I think the thing that maybe we're building up to. Although I will say, I despite the lot, I read I read these like a couple years ago. I reread uh, them a couple years ago, and I will say this time I was much higher on Good Apollo than I the Good Apollo graphic novel than I had been. In the I past. I actually think the Good Apollo um, graphic novel, like I think it has some. I have some issues with it, but like as a story, like I think it's actually pretty well written. Yeah, coming off of In Keeping Secrets, which is just page after page after page of monologuing and... And the art you know, is just, so gross! Yeah, yeah. It's so it's, gross! It's, it's weird because, like, uh, you know, like, it, it it does baffle me that, that Claudio pulled names like uh, Chris Burnham, Aaron Cooter, and Rags Morales, all of whom are, like, pretty big names yeah what who are tell us about uh chris burnham and uh yeah so who was the other one that worked on in keeping secrets aaron cooter aaron cooter that was it who drew action comics with greg pack for like two years wow um which is that's after that is like of course a few years after Mm -hmm. um in uh in keeping secrets chris burnham known for collaborating with grant morrison on batman incorporated um and a couple issues of his batman of their batman and robin run mm-hmm. um all of which are like i i personally really love the all the morrison batman stuff and i think that chris burnham draws it really well and the thing that is like so stunning to me is that a lot of that it's a lot of damian wayne mm-hmm. and damian wayne looks like a child in uh, in those comics, and yet, uh, and yet, Chase, uh, the six-year-old iRobot. Well, what the, you know, what is something... what is a child but yeah. an adult woman on the head of a small human body? <laughs> right, exactly. That is the the interpretation of it here. And I, there is like an endless fascination. I think this has to be a Claudio thing with like making these books as gory as possible. Yeah, that definitely tracks with Claudio as a person who we know likes like horror and horror movies. Totally, and personally, I'm I'm not like opposed to to gore. I oh, you love gore and horror. I love gore. I think a lot of the gore here looks fucking sick. Um, but it, it often feels really out of place. Like in these sci-fi battle scenes, all of a sudden it's like, oh, this guy's brain is exploding and, you know, his eyeballs are... Po- it's just, it's it's weird tonally, but Chris Burnham draws the shit out of it. Uh, at least in my opinion. But his character work here is just bad. Like everyone... And I think that like J- Jesse looking like a s- sleek, greased up biker dude is like intentional. And like Claudio looking like shit in Goddardam is like like these are intentional, yeah. but they don't have to look that bad. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, there are obviously choices being made, but that doesn't mean that they are the best execution of these choices. I used to be so like I'm actually going to very tepidly defend that. Mostly on the grounds that like I originally kind of felt like you guys kind of do here, and having come back to it. I have kind of come around to this idea of, okay, whether 
Claudio intended them to do this or not, there's a sort of in, intentional appeal to the grotesque totally. in all of these of like to heighten the sense of unreality. We're just going to make everything as ugly as physically possible. And part Every of that inch is of it, Wilhelm it's like, Ryan is warts. <laughs> Like, why does why does Al the Killer have a fucking brain hole that I do not respect nor like? Because it's awful. It's cool. weird. It's gory. It's also cool. And it makes the setting less real. It makes it more like a bad dream you had because you ate something too late. Which ends up kind of paying off for me personally a little bit when we get to the writing writer parts. And it's like, oh yeah, this is exactly the kind of dude that would make a story that has almost zero beauty in it. And it has just like the most tortured, weird shit in every detail. Yeah, actually, I totally believe it now. This guy is exactly the kind of guy who... Sure. <laughs> I can't... I, I actually... I, I think that's a like a good reading on it. I, I think that it's... I, I would push back on that only because they switched art they, they not only switched artists but so clearly 180 on style for good apollo yes. um like because like aaron kudo is a very intentional choice because his art looks like chris burnham's art they're both like dc house style adjacent mm-hmm. um but then to switch to someone like rags morales who is also dc house style adjacent but on the different side another side of dc house style yeah also, someone who's worked with Grant Morrison, like he he, uh, he drew Grant Morrison's action comics run, um, so uh, Rags Morales, that is. Um, so you know, but like, there's a. I, I think that like there, that that choice, and I, I it, it, it goes back to the like, you know, Claudio and Peter David writing in Keeping Secrets, and then Chandra taking over for Good Apollo, and Chandra is somebody who like had more experience in comics. I mean, she wrote, she's co-written a lot of stuff with claudio but most of it is like her work like yeah writing i mean you look at things like translucent and key of z like they're like claudio is very you know his name is on the books but it's you know it's sort of like you know this happens all the time at like you know especially on like at image where people will have like imprints and you'll see people's names on books but you know it'd be like greg rucka presents and then mm-hmm. it'll be a different creative yeah. yeah, that's sort of the vibe I get, and it seems like there's a much more like professional. Like we know we're trying to do comics here, you know. Like, yeah, I mean, there's definitely you. You could definitely read that as like a reorienting of like okay, for either because of a lack of communication or a wanting this to appear a little more gritty and DIY than it actually was. I I am interested in. Um, so this is not, I don't think this is in the notes, uh, but Claudio's actually in the past expressed some dissatisfaction with the good Apollo books. Yeah. Um, and he, of course, being Claudio, the way he did this is kind of weird and vague. And I've always wondered, is it the change in art style that he didn't appreciate? Or was it the change in the way and, and kind of a slight change in tone? And also, frankly, that the, uh, dialogue gets better that he didn't like I'm not really sure because the way he talked about he's talked about in the past that I've read was just kind of vague well I mean he would kind of have to be vague because if he's like 
if he's criticizing the new good Apollo comic, he is by extension, or not by he is literally criticizing the work of uh, his own wife. And as we know, yeah, which is also weird. Claudio is is very intensely a wife guy, and has been very intensely a wife guy for. Don't you call him that? Don't you stain that? And Claudio's not a wife guy. Like a, a wife guy, it's a little bit. We, it's a little different. There's there's layers here, but like Claudio is very invested in uh like or I guess I shouldn't like speculate on the man, uh, but like based on his work, there is a, a big emphasis on like his romantic partners and in particular like the Chandra XP in this story, Ambelina. And yeah. so like it would probably be a weird look for him to outright like yeah. say something that could be taken as mean about the book his wife wrote is all yeah. I'm saying. We should we, we, we should go off on that. I, I should also say though that Cla- I think Claudio has said that about like every single adaptation of his It's movie. true. It's, he it's said that true. about I mean, the bag online adventures. He said that about second stage. About the well, it's never gonna. It's never gonna be like, his perfect execution. I know that's, his perfect execution can't exist. Yeah, but it exists. It's the albums. That's the well, problem. Okay, he, he's 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 kind of like a in a weird way. He's kind of like a Hideo Kojima figure, where like Kojima. No, I you I think making games, wishing he could make movies. Claudio wishes he was a writer, but he's. A, you know, he's a the lead singer of a rock band. Yeah, uh, is the, sort of the impression that I, that I that I get. No, no I think you're spot on here. Uh, but we should also say, like, because uh, I don't know that we've said it explicitly, um, calling the characters in these comics self inserts is like doing a probably doing a disservice to just how much these books are about yeah. Claudio's life. You have never Literally, seen a self-insert the way Claudio no. Santos does a yeah. self-insert. And not only one, it is not the, just two. It is the true three. insertion of the self over and over. Right, yeah. So the, it's not a mistake that the main character of, of the Amory Wars is named Claudio uh, and also is drawn to look exactly like Claudio. It's not a mistake that, well, that writer... Okay, I actually... Writer look- Okay, go ahead. Writer does. Writer looks exactly like Claudio. Claudio and Amory Wars looks a little different. Writer does absolutely look 110% like Claudio, except more ribs, which I think is very funny. But, um... Chandra's doing a little, uh, you know... You know... A little imagination. Yeah, and you know what? Good for her. That's fine. But, um... I think it's interesting... I don't know if we as like three white people are maybe equipped to have this conversation, but I want to posit this idea of like, so Claudio, the human person in our real world has like through the story kind of said that Claudio, the character is like an ideal self. And something that you will notice is that the ideal self Claudio has, like, straight hair and, like, pale, like, white skin. I'm wondering if, like, 
I don't know. There's like, and we can cut this out if this is a weird conversation, but like, I just think it's interesting that like his ideal self is like skewed slightly more towards these like Eurocentric values of a this. I've never thought about it that way, but it's something it is, that I only thought about literally just reading yeah. it like for this podcast. I had not thought about this before. Yeah, there is a there is a weird there is definitely a weird dynamic. I think though, like the way that I thought about it more, and I just like sort of brush it off is Al the Killer, uh, because Al the Killer is the third like secret Claudio stand-in character. It's not very um, secret. It's well. Yeah, it's not very secret, except for the fact that unlike Claudio and Ryder, Al the Killer looks nothing like it's, Claudio. It's, namely, like he's farther removed. For yeah, sure. I mean he's he's also black, right? Like that's he he has he has darker skin than than uh, Claudio does. Yeah. but yeah. I, you know there, there's probably a conversation to be had there. I, I had never thought about it, so I'm not prepared. Yeah, no, I just was. I I guess I was just wondering what if you either of you had any thoughts about like. I don't know, this idea of, uh, like, Claudio creating his perfect self in a way that also, like, seems to exemplify sort of, like, I don't know, just, like, what the average, like, normal dude looks like. And I don't, like, I don't say... I'm gonna be honest. I I don't, I wouldn't say that Claudio Sanchez looks like the most, like, normal average dude. You know, no, I, I'm going to be honest, though. I think that that has more to do with like the art than anything else, because like especially like when or, or like in around that era, like in the early 2010s, mm-hmm. like there was a very limited color palette of for for like there's there's not a lot of gray area in, in comics art for or there wasn't for, you know, well, so anything between the style what, of the yeah. like second stage and then uh, in keeping secrets comics. Right. There, there's very little room for for like in between sort of you know the, the the real palette of what human skin colors mm-hmm. look like right like there's sort of two options mm-hmm. um and you know some like with with you know minor variations but but not reflective of uh you know actual human skin tone it's just i guess and i think that that's like a oh sorry you, a, you yeah i was just gonna say, i think that's a fa- absolutely like that was absolutely a failing of, of comic book artists i mean this is what ha- that, like the it, you know the all three artists on on these books are are white guys. Well, Rags Morales I think is Puerto Rican actually. Um, but you know, like it, the comic books have traditionally like at least you know mainstream comics, which clearly these artists were plucked out of mainstream comics. Like they chose them for a reason. They're all like I would say that if you're like a, somebody who reads DC and Marvel, like these are names that you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like they they have they're very you know. They are very Eurocentric in the way that they that they draw their characters and the way that they compose mm-hmm. uh, compose art and, and scenes and stuff like that. I, so. The reason I it kind of came to mind is because it's when you're reading the uh, the Good Apollo comic when you see like Ryder being so like specifically drawing on Coheed's physical attributes that like Claudio. Yeah, Claudio. Claudio. <laughs> Coheed. Uh when you see Ryder yeah. so clearly drawing from Claudio's actual physical attributes that like there is sort of the contrast between Claudio the character and Claudio the man physically. 
Yeah. Um, I, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think that, like, a lot of it is just that there is, like, a... I think the ideal, like, you know, Claudio, the character in the Amory Wars. I'm certainly not trying to say that I think that, like, Claudio, the human man, like, did this intentionally or anything. Well, there there is obviously some intent in in terms of portraying Amory Wars, Claudio, and Ryder, like, very differently. Oh, yeah, no, 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 yeah. I just meant, like, I I don't think that Claudio was, like, thinking specifically, like, I'm going to make... Amory Wars Claudio have straight hair, like for that yeah, reason. Sure. I was, I was, I was to piggyback off of something that you said. Um, Claudio Kilgannon looks fits in a lot more visual aesthetically with his predecessors in comic American comic canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that, on one hand, we could read that along with Al the Killer, the song, and the character, and kind of read there's a weird sort of, like, Claudio Claudio dances around Brace a little bit in some of his work. It's very confused, and it would, be, it would take a very long time to tease that out. But I also kind of see it, I think it's, to me it's more interesting to say Claudio whether he intends to or not has been, he is recreating a lot of stuff here. Mm -hmm. Like the Amory Wars is its own thing, but it is also a, um, all of its influences on its sleeve at all times. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a perfect case study of the anxiety of influence, right? It's got so much stuff everywhere. And Claudio Kilgannon is a perfect, amalgamation of a bunch of different predecessors that that this is obviously taking on and i think that's intentional because like star wars which gets brought up a lot with the emory wars there's a there's an attempt to create mythic resonances whether or not claudio thought about that entire thing very deeply i don't know i think he would like to say he did um but it's not not there. Um, the same way that, like, you know, the fact that Amory Wars is kind of just one of Jodorowsky was in a rock band is also not not there. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's so uh, true. I mean, like, both both Jesse and Claudio look like they could have come straight out of a wild, like, 2006 Wildstorm comic, you know, mm-hmm. like... Yes, right at home. Like Jesse looks like he's from from like a couple of very specific eras of um, X Men comics. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. He also looks like he could he could have just come been ripped out of the pages of the boys, Um, (laughs) straight up. Um, But yeah, yeah. No, I mean that's like that is a big part of these books is that like I, I there there is. There is so much of like '90s comics designs in here, um, like in terms of like how the characters are designed, but sort of like that, that the sort of like transitionary period where you were starting to see a lot of those like Image Comics, the like Image Comics people who were like went from X from X Men to Image, and then seeing that influence seep over into back into DC and Marvel. I mean, it's 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 so it's it's it, it is 
kind of weird that In Keeping Secrets comes out in 2010, 2011 in a time where like both DC and Marvel are totally like reimagining what they're doing. Like DC does the new 52 Marvel does Marvel now and like stylistically are actually getting away from that mm-hmm. um, for like, for the first time really like, uh, like acknowledging like we are moving away from, from, from that style. And this is like very clearly still doing that. And it does like, I mean, you know, Chris Burnham is, is definitely, you know, has, even though he's done more, he's been more incorporated into like the DC house style does more DC books now, definitely in the school of like, you know, Jim Lee, uh, Rob Liefeld, like definitely like in that lineage, um, for sure. And and there are times when it works better than others. Like I think, I genuinely think there are a lot of like, like there's some big like sci-fi splash pages that are really, really cool in, 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 in keeping secrets. Like, uh, when they're at the beginning, when, uh, they're under, when Jesse and there is underwater and they've like grafted ships onto the like underwater, the like underwater sea dragons or whatever they are. Uh, and they like ambush the red army with them. Oh yeah. Like those pages look phenomenal. I mean, um, there's a later page where they, they, where they go to try Wilhelm Ryan, um, and it takes place aboard a, a space station that is like this amalgamation of, of, you know, different ships. And I think that that like the scale is weird on that, but it does look really cool. I, I think that like a lot of those that like those visual design aspects are like very strong. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the, the character designs in particular that, you know, I typically find are a little, are a little lacking in, in keeping secrets. And then I, I honestly, I, I mean, I'm, uh, I'm a regs I'm a, Rags Morales fan. I, I really like Rags Morales' art. Um, and so I really, I really, I, I think that like good Apollo looks phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say it's written phenomenally, but it is written, you know. Uh, yeah, I actually, I, uh, one of my, uh, discussion questions is, uh, about, uh, the, both of these books, uh, have different creative teams. Did you, yeah either of you prefer one over the other why or why not i definitely prefer the creative team of chandra and rags morales because not only do i think the art is uh like just it like i don't know i struggle to say better it's just a very different style and one that i like more uh, I can kind of appreciate the like gross style of uh, in keeping secrets, but it's just not really for me. Like when I was posting screenshots from in keeping secrets versus uh, good Apollo, like th- just the stark difference in what I was looking at, like it's just more vivid. Chase still looks horrible. Though. Yeah, Chase never like, looks good uh, ever. I'm not draw Chase well. And that's just really a shame. But uh, I I really, I liked the art in Good Apollo a lot more. We got the the chatification of Wilhelm Ryan. Uh, the Thanosification <laughs> of Wilhelm Ryan. He, like, yeah. went from being this, like, ugly little man covered in warts on every inch of his body to, like, this, like big strong sleek blue thanos man and uh you know um it was just um i i enjoyed the art more but what about you guys how did you feel about the different creative teams and the each influence on each work 
I think similarly to how you can see the the sort of different influences in art, like Peter David looms very heavily over in Keeping Secrets. I mean, this is a really renowned like superhero comic writer and you know, it is written like some of the worst superhero comics I've ever read in the sense that if you can't get at least five text boxes in a panel, you are making a mistake apparently. Yeah. Um, it's a lot of, it is a lot of monologues, a lot of like internal monologues, a lot of exposition dumps, you know, it's written in a way that like, you know, if you picked up issue seven, we got to explain everything that happened in the previous six issues. And I feel like that comes from like, Co- like Claudia, I almost did it again, from Claudio being like a, a writer, writer, not like a comics writer, whereas like Chandra seems to be geared more towards like writing comics as a, just like a, a narrative form. And that's to why be f- I, to I, be fair, Peter David is a comics writer. Well, okay. And sure. like there, there is a, I mean, we, we, we did it. We did, well, you didn't do all of the episodes, but we did 300 episodes of a show where we talked about, you know, new, com- new weekly comics. And it is a feature of like, especially DC and Marvel books that, you know, there's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of like constantly explaining to the reader, what's holding the reader's hand, explaining what's going on because, you know, they're written for 12 and 13 year olds primarily. Not, not to, and I don't want to disparage them. I fucking love DC and Marvel comics, but you know, they are, they, they they are written in a certain way. Mm -hmm. And that is, and that comes through in, in, in keeping secrets. Whereas, you know, uh, good Apollo is much more dialogue. I mean, it still has some of the monologue, but it is much more dialogue centric. Like it's a lot of people in rooms talking to each other. You know, it's a lot of like, Oh, you know, there's, there's a crowd of people. We're having a discussion. Now there's two of us having a one-on-one mm-hmm. conversation in a room going back and forth, which is also a feature of, which is a very, you know, that is a feature of like, you know, probably more like, Bendis, Rick Remender inspired stuff. Like, definitely, yeah. you can see some of those more, like, con- I would say more contemporary uh, influences on, uh, you know, the way that Chandra approaches comics. Whereas, like, Peter yeah. David wrote comics throughout the nineties, right? Like, he yeah, wrote comics that's very true. I, so that's I, sort of my interpretation of it. Well, my my familiarity is so much less with Peter David that I just right. keep forgetting to incorporate that into my uh, my <laughs> worldview. Uh, but that actually, like thinking of his like experience with 90s comics that makes a lot more sense yeah like, 90s early 2000s sure. i mean he still does big too oh yeah me. for sure but yeah um but I, that's that's sort of my and that, and i mean i've always i mean i've been on the record about this for years that like i'm much more a proponent of like i if you can't say something in dialogue in a comic, it probably is not, you probably shouldn't be saying it in the comic, you know, <laughs> like if something requires internal model, like the, the less internal monologuing you can get in comics, the better. I mean, it's a, I agree. You know, it's such a visual medium that when you clutter Absolutely. pages with text, it is a, that is a huge issue. And I know there are people who also have similar problems with the, like people sitting in rooms talking to each other of like comics should be more action focused. And I, I I'm sympathetic to that too, but I think it is at least a step up from the, uh, you know, I know. square boxes rather than, you know, conversations. I, for me, I just like when things are like really action heavy, like I'm having fun reading it, but like, I'm not as like, like, I feel like I kind of, like, breeze along pages as the action goes, whereas, like, when it comes to, like, conversations, I actually, like, stop and I'm, like, absorbing things that are going on more carefully. It's, it, 
It is funny you say that, though, because I think that, like, Good Apollo is actually kind of a breeze to read. Oh, it's much yeah. more of a like breeze. A, that is, like, a quality of, like, you know, at least, like, a base level of competency in terms of, like, that style of writing comics and that mm-hmm. style of approaching comics is that, like, a lot of the time, like, you read stuff and it digests it and it's easily digestible and you move through it and it is, like, really sleek and really easy. And, you know, then you have to sort of, like, train your brain to, like, actually, like, look at the, you know, <laughs> absorb the art. And, you know, I I think that it, and I, I say all of this mostly as a compliment. And, yeah. You know, I I hope it comes across that. It took me like a week to get through all of uh, In Keeping Secrets just because, like, I had to, like, keep making myself go back to it. I managed, like, I was worried about the fact that I had basically put off most of uh, Good Apollo for today, but, like, it was super breezy to read through all of it today, basically. It's so. I'm with you, both of you. It's so much easier. Yeah, that's uh, probably why I I liked Good Apollo more. And oh yeah, it was just it was just easier to read. Like I, I I did feel that some of the wild and wacky weirdness was a little less present in Good Definitely. Apollo because of like the what kind of dumb shit is is, is Claudio going to force this man to draw. Um, and a little more, yeah, a little more grounded, which is weird because it's way more meta. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. A, yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we literally have a meta, literal meta, meta textual, meta narrative thing going on, and yet somehow it comes across as less wacky. It also is weird because there are way more, and we should get into the meta stuff more, but there are way more like direct lyric inserts in Good Apollo than there are in Keeping Secrets. Like it feels like every issue there's at least like three or four like lyrics that, are, that that every time i can't not read them in the the like they're like i'm listening to the song and every time it does disrupt the flow uh in, in a way but it, it is also funny that like despite that like despite it's having fun. It, it, well yeah except for the parts where they're where he's quote and wake up those you know oh well i mean with those. yeah fair uh, but yeah no I, I i it is fun i mean it's like it is like the kind of like oh my god i recognize that and that's cool like mm-hmm. i i think that's fun like, like leonardo DiCaprio pointing meme exactly but it does it does or the you know this podcast's favorite uh you know the wojack oh pointing, yeah the, of course <laughs> pointing meme um but no like it's uh like even even despite that even though that that does like for me interrupt the flow like that does you know, it still reads really well, but yeah, we should talk about the the meta the the meta side of things, where like you know a lot of the like a lot of in keeping secrets is like Claudio dealing, you know, working through his, his well, a uh, working through his his breakup with his his high school girlfriend, the album working through his breakup with his high school girlfriend, and also uh, being ecstatic that he has met this new person that he is totally infatuated with and in love with. Um, and, and, and that is very much the text of, of, of In Keeping Secrets. And then, you know, uh, Good Apollo. And Good Apollo is somehow managed to be simultaneously more healthy of a response and worse. Because Good <laughs> Apollo, it's like he takes a step back. Yeah. And we acknowledge that the text of the Amory Wars is in universe, within a universe, like Matryoshka dolled, a actual text written by a man who has serious issues both yes. interpersonally and, and mentally emotionally. I just need to and know. It is extremely critical of him. I need to know one thing. Did 
Claudio, Sanchez, Call, Chandra, Ambelina during sex. I need to know if it's real. I know that I will never know. I know that, like, that is a highly inappropriate question to ask either of them, and I never would, and it is entirely up to them whether or not that knowledge is ever public, but I need to know also. <laughs> I mean, so much of that writer storyline feels like it's just ripped Some from- of it's like, have you ever heard somebody say, like, if you don't do this, I'm going to do something to you. And the example of what they're going to do is like too specific. Like you have definitely done this before. Like that is how I feel about some of the things that happen in good Apollo. I'm going to basically speculate. Yes. And no one can prove me wrong. It's hard not to base because it isn't baselessly speculating. Is it? But I mean, it is so clear. Yeah, it is so clearly clearly a story about like, you know, Claudia. Like the story is about like Ryder getting like so obsessed with his work and and not taking care of his mental health. Very important. Yeah, not taking care of himself, not taking care of his relationships, and then when inevitably everything comes crashing down around him, as it will when you do that, he likes to a bicycle. Exports the blame onto onto a third party, right? Onto 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 Erica. I did um, have a question for you guys about yeah. specifically Ryder. Um, when I first read Good Apollo, when I went back and read Good Apollo, I had two different reads on him, right? Because then originally I was like, okay, the writing writer is obviously supposed to be not a sympathetic character in the sense that he is kind of vile, like he has. He has issues that are that are legitimate, and he has taken those issues, put them into a ball, and made them another person's problem in a way that is really, really. He just disturbing. wrote Erica Court on it. Yeah, it like, and it's yeah. like to the point of like actual real life violence. Yeah, to to uh, it's, it, it, it's like this is really awful. He has overridden her agency. He's like treated her to terribly. And then I read it again uh, when I was older as like, me thinks the, the author does protest too much. There's a bit in which the writer comes across as being bad in that very, but, you know, is this really a tragic kind of figure kind of way? And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Of this sort of like is, is am I supposed is it does the text lionizing him to a degree like his his actions are so dramatically big that they almost kind of get robbed of their very real badness. Well, he I mean he does actually murder her. Well, that is one of the things about this album is that like. It is, like, the album and then, by extension, the adaptation are, like, a a dramatization of real-life experiences filtered through sci-fi. But, like, Claudio Sanchez, the human man, uh, has kind of a... There is a pattern in his work of taking emotions that are like probably very rooted in like real hurt and real feelings and 
distancing, like taking the characters that he is imbuing this in and distancing himself by way of exaggeration. Like we, like when you look at like a character, like Al the killer, Al the killer is very clearly like a manifestation of like his own, like, like Claudio's own toxic attitudes about women and like things that like, he probably would like Claudio seems like a nice, cool guy. Like I'm not, I would hesitate to, to say like I don't want to make it seem like I think that he's like this weird violent person but like he clearly has had like feelings that he is externalizing and exaggerating through the character of Al the killer like he may not really want to kill his ex-girlfriend but expressing that he has that feeling is a way of like channeling that anger in a way that is less personal well, and that's literally like, and that's what I think. that's ten speeds argument. Yeah, that's right? like yeah. that's like that's all writer is like. That's the reason like he is so like abhorrent is because like we're not getting like Cla- like Claudio's honest feelings the whole time. We're getting a lot yeah. of abstraction of his feelings right. through and- like the horrific attitudes of the writer. Al feels a little different. It is different. At least I'm to just me. Like... Because Al is a little more cartoonish, whereas Ryder is a little, almost too real yeah. for me to be. Because we're like, this isn't like Al the Killer. It's like, oh yeah. But some you of know, his Claudia is taking is... all of his dumb feelings and stuffing into an obvious cartoon character bad guy who is uh, uh, way out there as a way of being like, you know, this is me exercising a weird feeling by putting into something that's worse and being like, this is bad, which is an obvious thing to say about an obviously bad character. And that's like, this is weird. I, 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 I we, this well, feels weird. Like, but we, okay should, with we should say just for context, Al the killer is a, the character is a character who like initially shows up as somebody who's like gambling with Claudio on Shiloh's 10, um, later befriends Claudio and Ambelina and like appears to be helping them. Uh, until they find his meat locker full of uh, his uh, ex-girlfriends that he's murdered and mm-hmm. like put on on hooks. Um, no, just just to be clear about like what we're talking about when we talk about Al the Killer. Yeah, but like even like even though Al the Killer is much more of a cartoonish example of this, like he's still doing that with the writer because like the writer like you know welcome home is all about like the different ways of like killing erica court for her uh perceived indiscretions that's another question i have is do you guys actually think that erica court was uh unfaithful to writer because i feel like the story is not clear on this i feel like writer says a lot that she was but then you look at the comic and like i don't know i feel like it's not well very clear and i uh wonder how the two of you feel about that crucially writer doesn't start saying that until 10 speeds well i mean it's hard to it's it's hard to divorce 10 speed from writer because yeah. 10 speed is like i mean 10 speed is like the the sort of like quote-unquote literalization he's a manifestation of, yeah he's like a manifestation of writer's worst impulses mm-hmm. um but but at this but weirdly at the same time also like 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 you know his, his like 
my interpretation of ten speed is that, that, that ten speed is like ten speed is not egging Ryder on to kill Erica. He wants Claudio. He wants Ryder to kill Ambelina mm-hmm. in the story so that he can get over like yeah. his feelings about about Erica Court. But it, it, it's it's one of those things where and to go back to Alice's original point about like if we're supposed to if the book is written in a way that's supposed to like lionize him, I I, I really. My read on it has always been well. I should say, I and I really. This is why I wish I had been able to reread the original, the original graphic novel again because I think my read on it way back then, and this could have also been that I was fourteen or whatever at the time, thought he was so cool. Um, was that like you know, my read on it is that in that version of the story, he is right about everything, and you know he like the things that he does are are justified by the things that have been done to him. It matches the tone of the album Good Apollo in the sense that it is very much like you know you I have been slighted by a woman, and that woman was the only thing standing between me and you know doing a committing violence, which is another theme of of Claudio's writing. Uh, over the thing between him through uh, standing between him and fear through the eyes of madness. Exactly. But but then I think that, and I think that this is why it gets so interesting uh, uh, that Chandra writes is, is the one who the Chandra Usher is the one who writes the new version the updated version of it, because I think that the updated version is much harder on Ryder, the character Mm -hmm. and much more explicit about like Ryder is like, you know, maybe Ryder is, is in some ways tragic and, and it's fine, but he is a, he's tragic. He, he's tragic in a way that doesn't take away from the, the, the really, you know, evil things that he ends up doing. He's tragic, um, but it's a hell of his own making in a lot of ways. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't mean, like, even quite go. Th- I wouldn't say that it's like entirely his fault, but there are a lot of things that are like things that he has control over that contribute to, yeah, he's just written in a much more pathetic way, almost. Like, I mean, the scene where he throwing up, up on the lawn, the throwing up on the lawn, and then immediately trying to propose to Erica while she's very clearly leaving him, and then the whole like, oh, Erica comes. Total banger, by the way. The suffer, like the suffering, one of the best Coheed tracks about throwing up and right before you propose to your. Uh, in the process of breaking up with you but i think like between that and then the scene even the scene where like erica comes back like he's so desperate and pining and that's like the whole thing where he's like he's he keeps telling and it's you know it's classic like 10 speeds talking to him but you know only a rider can see 10 speed and he's constantly telling 10 speed to shut the fuck up and leave me alone and, and and erica's like is he talking to me um but it's it's it is so pathetic the way that he when he actually talks to Erica the way that he is like, you know, please just come back to You're me. You're my muse. To finish my story, and and you also see that like, oh, this guy sucks at fucking writing. In that scene where it's like, I always hated cats, and then he's like, and Claudio Kilgannon says that in the story, I'm more of a dog person. I always hated cats, and then you just see that it cuts on the next page to like this panel of like. Ryder sitting in the corner of his room throwing away crumpled pieces of paper that say I always hated cats on them you know like mm-hmm. he is a very pathetic character yeah um, and, deeply and, so yeah and I think that through that like 
that that you're that it's almost a story about not how like you know in being pathetic he is sympathetic or in any way like redeemable but like that that sort of feeling those feelings of like emasculation almost are the things that drive him to you know as they also unfortunately often do like in in real life like those are the things that drive him to 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 kill erica to like first kidnap and then ultimately kill erica um you know is, is that he feels so like embarrassed that like you know he he he, his his girlfriend left him. He can't finish. He can't write a good. He he's had he's been working on this magnum opus, but he can't fucking finish it. Um, you know, and you see the worst parts of that come out in Ten Speed, and Ten Speed constantly mocks him about like you know you you don't know how to fi- you don't know how to how to finish the book like you don't know what you're doing. You know, you need to let me take over. And and in the end, like that is sort of what happens is like the part of rider that is 10 speed is the part that takes over. And that, that's, that's like my read on the, on the newer book. And it's, um, and it, it ends like, you know, with both, you know, Ambelina, like rider going into the story and killing Ambelina, but also killing Erica in, you know, it, it's like he, he, the, 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 the way he's seeing the world of the Amory wars is like, he's seeing, you know, you don't actually see him kill Erica. You see Erica's body at the end. Yeah. uh, It is very obvious that the scene, like, you know, when you get to the part where like he gets shot by the red army guards at the end. Mm. And it's like the, the oldest trick in the book of like, he gets shot in the dream and then, but he, and he's like not supposed to be hurt, but then he's actually hurt. And it turns out that he's actually being shot by police officers. Yeah. I don't know how they got there, but yeah. Have you read the other ending? Huh? Have you read the other ending? Yeah, I, I I've read it years and years ago. I was yeah. gonna uh, ask how you guys felt about um there there are some changes in uh, adapting these albums to comic books and even from adapting uh from one comic book to a newer comic book. I mean, I think it's telling that this one does not have the whole like take Ambelina up to the guillotine and. You know, well, there, all, of, all of that stuff. There was a uh, <laughs> there was a uh, like a variant cover for one of the comics that is yeah. uh, you can see is. I mean, they they still occasionally the... sell that shirt of like the guillotine with the prize win. Oh, I mean, yeah. it is one of the coolest it's actual sick. like metals. Yeah, it's a pure poetic image it is the coolest set piece he ever did a hundred percent cool as hell the fact that i know what it's about does make it a little weird but it is that's how i feel about 90 percent of coheed merge honestly (laughs) like once i know what it's about i feel kind of weird about it well you're gonna love prizefighter inferno yeah i bet you're gonna love finding out what the going price for home is about oh boy Oh no. Um so yeah, changes between like original albums which like the story was written for in the early 2000s versus the comics which came out in the 2010s. Um how do you guys feel about the changes that have been made? Like I guess that's it's a pretty broad question, so if you have any like specific opinions about I like the ending pages. better. Uh, I think the ending is stronger. Um, it's a little less psycho um, of an ending, but it, it, it's a little stronger as the the part the writer having hallucinated a large portion of the story makes more sense in the fiction 
but also allows that moment of his like, I'm invincible. Oh no, I got shot because I'm, uh, I'm trying to threaten cops and I was hallucinating. Works a little better as an ending for his character than uh, he just walks back into the real out of the fiction and he's all good now. His, his mind problems are gone. I do miss... I'm sorry. I, I miss the guillotine thing because it is an insane out there the kind of weird shit that I expect from kind of an outsider art piece and I liked that. It is terrible. It is reprehensible. It is the coolest thing he ever did. I, I think that, yeah, it. the final confrontation in the new version of Good Apollo feels way more anticlimactic. It's just sort of like, you know, it feels like the real conclusion is what happens in issue 10, or yeah, 10, where he has, where he like, Claudio raises the dead and they have the, fi- yeah. the, the confrontation. Well, not actually the final confrontation with Wilhelm Ryan, but you know, that feels much more like the climax and the, the rest of it, the, the rest of the ending where he and Chase go into the willing well mm-hmm. um, feels way more, it, it, it really does feel anticlimactic because it's like Claudio and Chase go into the willing well with Ambulina because the writer has taken Ambulina there. And it's just like, they're kind of like in this cave uh, talking and, you know, arguing and, and, and then he kills and then Ryder kills Ambelina, right? Like, I, I agree that, like, him dying, I, I think I basically agree 100% with Alice on this, that, like, him dying is way better than, like, I, I think it has way more interesting implications. And again, this is another thing that I, I know that we're, this has already gone super long, but this is another thing that, it, like, there are some ideas that underlie the Amory Wars of, like, uh, you know, agency and how much free will the characters actually have that um, I don't think any of the comics ever are able to fully engage with. But if ever there was a time to do that, it would be in No World for Tomorrow after, you know, the universe, the creator of the universe, God is dead, you know. Literally. Literally, God is dead. The creator of the universe is dead. How do we, you know. How God do we, is like, dead. The cops have killed him. Well, that <laughs> is like, they are planning on doing that. It just hasn't. Yeah, they, they I mean, According to uh, Chandra Eschert's Instagram story from a month or two ago, they are currently working on it. Okay. Announcement soon. Um, but they've been saying that since 2020 so, or well, 2019. Well, I mean, a lot has happened a since happened. the yeah. beginning of 2020. Yeah. So, absolutely. I mean, there's a new COVID album. So, yeah, new COVID you know, album. But, but like, you know, all the like, the, and that is like why, like, if it, if the the whole like trial bit if Jesse wasn't such a profound idiot um, and written clearly to be an idiot in that nothing he ever does ever goes right. um, It it, it could be like a, it could be like a sort of compelling, like, you know, almost like, uh, you know, you know, classic philosophical dialogue almost between like about the nature of like free will and, and God and, and all that and these are ideas that constantly they get like they brush up right against them and never go all the way but i think that hey at least it's better than the one he did with wilhelm ryan right before wilhelm ryan's um execution that didn't take because that was that fucking (laughs) sucked i'm sorry really bad yeah no that's that is truly true that was like 2007 our atheism yes yeah no absolutely i mean it's just like the, the whole like either i am god 
or there is a god and he hasn't smitten me down and saved you from the genocide that I'm committing upon Heaven's Fence. And it's like, oh shit, Wilhelm Ryan read, um, somehow managed to rediscover Pascal's wager, but stupid. Damn, that boy's spin. You know, but like, like there is, there is an intelligent way to approach this. And I think that like, and I think that like a, such a key part of like Claudio Kilgannon's character arc is like the whole his whole character arc is a classic like chosen one special boy whatever you want to call it. I, I do like special boy, um, but the whole like I, you know he has a destiny. There's a prophecy that says what his destiny is, and he has to fulfill it. And in this case, his destiny is like burning Heaven's Fence. You know, mm-hmm. he's going to burn Star Four and 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 destroy Heaven's Fence. And what that actually means is you know up to interpretation. But like. Or, you know, At least currently up to interpretation. We will presumably find out. Um, but, like, such a compelling part about that is that, like, up until the end of Good Apollo, like, he doesn't really have a choice in them. He doesn't have a choice in that. I mean, he's being strung along by right. Like, now Ryder God is, is dead. Determining that. And now God is dead and he can decide for himself if he wants to burn Star 4, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, which is, like, you know, I think there's a lot of room for a compelling story there and a really, like, interesting inner struggle that's way more that goes way beyond the like oh i have these powers but i don't want them i don't want responsibility and then like mm-hmm. he meets a he meets a hot a town of ten smoke show and is like oh actually i want all that responsibility <laughs> um but you know it's a you know that like it, like i said it's just the constant like getting so close to things that are like really compelling and then either like in the jesse scene being stupid with them or completely backing off it's about to hit the point about to hit the point and it just veers off yep so many times yep so many well, it's, it's why i like the the guillotine thing because he literally cannot veer off he is committed yeah, yeah. this insane but also deeply deeply arrestingly interesting set piece and he has Absolutely. to follow through yeah no 100 per- yeah 100 percent. I, I i think that that is 100 percent correct do you guys want to know what my least favorite change is to uh it's it's in the in keeping secrets uh album to to comic adaptation and it's is that they made chase and sizer siblings and not like into each other um i mean i like Wait, feel... i thought they were siblings in, in, the, in the song oh god well, uh alice go look at those lyrics again they definitely <laughs> sound romantic but they might be siblings I mean, but but they definitely if it comes off more romantic but no it's that um it's that they kind of in making the comic Oh, I oh I understand what you're talking about. I thought that was a reference. I, I thought that was about Mariah. Oh, okay, I thought oh, that was supposed no, no. to be the speaker. There was um, Jesse. Okay, um, fair. Thinking of like missing Mariah because you know yeah. she got decapitated. But I, yeah. I uh, lament the fact that uh, in making the In Keeping Secrets comic, they basically made Favor House Atlantic non canonical. <sighs> like, and don't get me wrong, I think that. Um, I think that not giving Al the Killer a redemption song was a good idea. I just, it's it's a shame because Favor House Atlantic is such a banger that it's like... Wait, he still does the thing with, he still fights the Red Army. Yeah, but he does it because he's like being mind controlled not because he doesn't like is he doesn't really fight them with a 
he doesn't really fight them with a sniper rifle either. He yeah. like just jumps into the fray. He's also not like, a sniper. He has one. It's in his inventory. I, I assume. But I just I it makes me sad that this song is such a banger and they basically rendered it non-canonical. There are so many things like that, like the like I mean, mentioned this earlier, but like the fact that the jackhammers are the Red Army's like cannons, as opposed, yeah, it sounds like that's just supposed to be belong to. They're they're supposed to be like Jesse's rebels. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. The whole thing is when I'm at a Korean concert and they do the like whoa, and then it become, and then everyone just just goes, man, you're all jackhammer. It's like, yeah, we're rooting for the good guys, and it's like, uh, no, you're not. (laughs) Well, the author's dead. I don't know why you're doing it, but I love it. And just because, you know, he's the one that says man your own jackhammers or whatever. Yeah, that is a ama- You know, that is one thing that's nice is that of all the characters to say man your own jackhammers, Mayo definitely is Mayo. deserves to I mean, say it. He is the people's <laughs> he is the people's general. The, people's the, the general. Gregory Zhukov of this universe. <laughs> that is my fucking boy. I I I lo- Mayo genuinely feels like he's from a different comic because it feels <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yes. Well, because it feels like Claudio is like feels like Claudio and Peter David and even Chandra are like trying to write him as like a comic relief character with the things he says. He's a comic relief character in my heart. But they accidentally turn him into like way more of a badass. Like it's like you're like this is the only guy in the entire Amory Wars universe who like knows what he's doing. Like he's got everything. He's the only one that can speak directly to Wilhelm Ryan, basically. Yeah. And even Wilhelm Ryan is like, Wilhelm has it, he dies, and then he comes back, and he's like, oh, my plans are changed. I want to enslave the the key work now. Yeah. And Wilhelm Ryan is, and, and, and Mayo's just like, well, you know, whatever, man, I've got that locked down too. I'll go, I'll go, I can do that for you. I can make that happen. You no, know? You, you don't understand. Vaxxus is just like, what if Mayo Denwolf was every character? <laughs> That's, that's what it is. That's Vaxxas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can make Vaxxas appealing now. Yeah. It's the only way that anyone will actually care. It's every character. They made Vaxxas appealing when they released the Liars Club. Oh, Liars Club does bang. I have not, as an aside, I have not listened to the to the newest album yet. I I was not, well, I'm new, still not sure about the first Vaxxas. Did it come out? Or... Been, well. Because it got delayed. It leaked. Okay. I've not listened to it because I was like, okay. I don't know if I'm going to like it. I did not like Vaxxas 1. I was like, so much better than Vaxxas 1. I've liked all the stuff that I've heard so far, so I'm optimistic. It, it is the, and this is kind of a backwards comparison, but it is the in keeping secrets to Vaxxas 1's No World for Tomorrow. Okay. Um, that's, a, that's high praise. Yeah. Um, it. I really, I really like it. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, it will be out, so I am yeah. legally allowed to talk about it. I really <laughs> like it. Um, but yeah. I did want to, I did want to talk about one, th- one, um, the last two notes we have on here for actual notes. Mm-hmm. Um, apparently, I did not know this, but some people have talked about how they feel that like the meta narrative of Good Apollo um is almost directly kind of ripping off Grant Morrison's run of Animal Man. Yeah. And I would like to say, um, first off, I really don't think so. And second off, that's insulting to Grant Morrison. I see, I have said this and I have meant it as insulting to Claudio. <laughs> <laughs> because Grant Morrison's run of Animal Man oh, I- is 
legitimately visionary. <laughs> no, it is. It's it's one of my favorite comics of all time. I am selling it with Wilhelm Ryan. I don't know. So, so the two of you have so that this yeah, actually I mean, has like a substantive conversation. The, the problem is, is that like Grant Morrison gets like when Grant Morrison does the issues where you know he it's actually like he talks to Animal Man. Like yeah. he actually gets at the things they. that or they. Sorry, my bad. Um, the Amory Get Grant yeah, Morrison they, yeah. is a they them. Yes, I don't know. Thank you. Um, the they actually get at the ideas in an interesting way that about like you know the creator and you know Animal Man's agency or whatever that like the that Claudio and Chandra and uh, I'm playing on the peter david like never actually fully get out of here right? you guys like, it is a much not feel like that may have been an, an influence an, oh. on the the approach here I oh no it's just, it's just that there's an easier there's an easier parallel that fits claudio a lot better it's it stephen is. king oh of course oh, yeah okay yeah it's yeah, stephen king right, talking yeah. to roland deskane yeah, it's almost literally like it yeah yeah, that that is probably a much more apt comparison uh, than the even just the fact that everyone hates it. <laughs> I'm also like more willing to insult to drag Stephen King's name through the mud than I am Grant Morrison's, <laughs> as you should for good or ill. Yeah, hey, I would never insult Grant Morrison. I, they are one of my favorite comic book writers. Yeah, I, I, I joke, but like, that was what I was also going to say, is that like I feel like the actual comparison people are trying to make is he he did Stephen King showing up at the hind end of to be a plot-relevant character yeah. at the end of The Dark Tower, which everyone hated, much like everyone is has mixed feelings about Claudio is basically just every character in the well, I don't have mixed feelings about that. I think it rocks. <laughs> I mean, I do too. It's terrible. But also, this rules. It's fucking awesome. Um, I guess we should do the... We're, 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 we got to wrap up here pretty soon. But we should do the, the traditional uh, which character cries the most? And we, we do this every time. So which character cries the most in, in Amory Wars? Um, me having to read the comic. <laughs> no, um, I mean it's gotta be it's gotta be Ryder, right? 100%, like, yeah. like a hundred percent, he is the one that cries the most. Yeah, like I, either physically or emotionally. Like it feels like he is like you. Know, here's the thing: the problem is that like as a heterosexual, uh writer can only express the feeling of anger so like he can't actually fully ex express the sadness that produces crying but i was gonna i was gonna say sizer but sizer also does the same thing where he can't cry about how jesse will never love does not and will never love him he just like he just goes on murder sprees about it you know and it's so does writer so does writer uh, Sizer's got a bigger body count. Oh, well, yeah, I mean... Also, we did not talk nearly enough about Sizer. Sizer is yeah, also... So this, I, think, I love... This is the first time Sizer has come up at Sizer all. Better. Yeah. Yeah, Sizer... Yeah. Yeah, Sizer, the, like, cre the iRobot creation of Jesse, who just wants to... Just wants a father... Just wants totally to not dad. his robot I, son. I love the scene so much where, like, after Claudio rebuilds him and the Narrows are attacking Goddardam and, and Sizer goes proud of me. and saves them. Yeah, and so I was like, please just tell me you're proud of me, even if you're not. 
and Claudio's like, oh, I, I, that's weird, but yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I, that's uh, genuinely a good moment in an otherwise, you know, not so, yeah. not so great comic. It's very funny. Um, well, do we want to close out? I did. I had one more note, but maybe we won't discuss whether or not we think that Amory Wars could ever be a movie or have movies. Maybe when No World for Tomorrow finally comes out, we'll reconvene the Claudio Sanchez brain trust. It would be uh, easier to make a movie out of House of Leaves because House of Leaves has a, has a more um, linear story. But also I would love for someone to try because the resulting failure would fuel an entire attempt. generation of uh, trash comics. I know that there was like a bunch of people in uh, like 2018, 2019 who were like rallying for an Amory Wars like Netflix show, but there was never any evidence that like this was something that was under consideration. People were just posting about it. The Amory Wars is too psychotic for Netflix. Netflix would take the edge off of it. Oh, 100%. Uh, and I would hate to see that. It would, uh, it would not would not work i don't think yeah but um yeah it is time for the the ceremonial bong 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 is the doomsday clock it is the doomsday clock uh to signal our first ever cry space because we've never done it before this is the first time and this is the part of the show where we highlight a thing that made us cry this week uh Alice, did you come prepared with a thing that made you cry this week? Um, I did actually. <gasps> um, so if someone goes first, I, I have a prop for this one. I was going to say, I'm on the edge of my seat. <laughs> Emily, you should. You want to go? Yeah, I can. I can say mine. I um, I. Went and saw the Bob's Burgers movie with Alice and her wife. And uh, there was, I'm not going to say what part, but there was a part of the movie that did make me a little emotional. And even though Alice was sitting next to me, I totally held back my internal tears that I I did uh, feel and almost cry. But I was, uh, I was a good sport and I, I held it together. So I didn't. That's rare. Cry, but that's rare for you. I know it was. Uh, it was a rare moment of uh, discretion uh, from me. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess since uh, she's still getting the prop, uh, I, I can go. Yeah. Uh, I have been uh, playing a visual novel. Oh, you, is this is this the Dangy Grandpa? Uh, no, 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 no. Well, I am playing Dangy Grandpa too, okay. as well, but uh, it's called Heaven Will Be Mine. Oh, Actually, you, I've heard of this. Yeah, you would. This is one hundred percent your shit. Yeah, I've heard of this. I, 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 I say this affectionately. Uh, one of my friends described it. He was watching me play in Discord call. He said it in a very uh, dismissive and you know. Uh, but he said it was Evangel- he called it Evangelion for lesbians. Um, so evolutionary <laughs> girl Utena. Uh, yeah, sure that. Um, but yeah, no, I have been. I I have done so far. I've done like the first two playthroughs. Alice, and it is. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, have you played Heaven Will Be Mine? Oh, definitely. <laughs> oh, okay, that's what we're. That's that's uh, John Luke's cry space today. Yeah. It. it it has not yet made me actually cry, but it has gotten very close on two occasions. 
Um, I have one. I, I, I looked it up, and there, I, I Googled how many endings there are, and I have two more that I have to get. So uh, I will be playing it two more times. But it is. It, I have really, really loved it so far. And I also wanted to mention it specifically because I think you should 100 million percent. I've definitely it. heard um, it spoken you... of very highly, and I've just not gotten around to it. So uh, if you do end up streaming it, you're literally not allowed to stream it. <laughs> you should definitely, actually. You should. Stream I will definitely that. take it's the streaming endorsement. I'll have to find it because uh, Alice can never make my Monday night streams. We'll have to find a night that. Uh, that would work but uh that sounds yeah you neither apparently but that seems like it would be very fun alice did you get your prop for your cry space give me 45 seconds and if i can't find it i'll just come tell you (laughs) okay okay alice you found your prop okay so um i have so to preface this i have played warhammer for years since I came home from my failed student at law school. Um, it was a thing to do that when I didn't have anything else to do and I was kind of driving as a job, as a Zen thing. Um, I used to play tournaments and um, I stopped doing that and have been able to do a little bit as I've been married. And um, recently Cass encouraged me to start playing again. Um, and tournaments. And so just, you know, with her on weekends. And I, especially because the army that I had originally taken to lots of tournaments, had lots of memories with, was no longer going to be something I could do. Mm-hmm. And this was my prop that I had to go find. Ooh. No, if it'll focus on her. There, oh, there is. Go. Oh, wow. Yeah, Celestine. Living saint. Um, oh, I love her. Discerning people will note that I painted her much grimmer than usual. <laughs> um, Neither of us are just that discerning. Um, but we had a chat in here at the the last <laughs> second, so we can oh yeah Warhammer for us. Um, but I I did get to go to that tournament and I played, and it was a very bittersweet moment for me because um, I got to play. My Celestine and my Grayfax, okay. who are characters that I kind of ship, and that GW Games Workshop has also kind of given a weird. There's definitely something going Ooh. on there thing between the these two women, and I used to run them as a joke, but also because. After I transitioned, I felt awkward playing again. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a way for me to kind of like, haha, it's, it's gay now. Um, as a thing, just a joke for me. And I was not going to be able to, at least in this way that I have been, play this list again that had been really important to me. And um, I got pretty choked up about it. And the last game that I played of that tournament, the guy I played was extremely drunk um and just was a incredibly unpleasant experience and as i was sitting in my car i'd been up there for like 10 hours plus at that point um i got a little teary because it was like 
I was saying goodbye to an old friend and also had to deal with the fact that I had to babysit a grown ass man who for three hours, who was extremely <laughs> drunk and explained to him very basic concepts. Oh. So that's, that's mine. While you were gone, uh, we shared our cry spaces. Mine was that I saw the Bob's Burgers movie with you. I know I heard that one. And I did. There was a moment of the movie that made me cry a little bit. And I totally held it together enough that you didn't even notice. I didn't notice. Um, And yours was Heaven Will Be Mine. Yes. Which... Heaven um, Will Be Mine is one of the best games. We'll definitely need to check that out for sure. Is that a... Is that a Christine Love joint or no? Okay. No, but she is friends with them. Okay, it feels it 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 feels like a Christine Love joint. Um, <laughs> I, I did not expect a Christine Love reference out of you, Emily. Well, so I that, get, that makes me. I get this. I, I'm a Christine Love super I, yeah, fan. I get this oh, yeah. Love story. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um. So I'm. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I ever since I think I think it was analog for me, but that was the first one I played. But yeah. All right, well, this is the end of the show. It's time for us to to plug things because the end of the show. Uh, if you would like to follow this podcast on the internet, you can do that at Crying Book Club on Twitter. You should rate and review us five stars on your podcasting platform of choice if it gives you the option to rate and review. I am you can do four stars if you say really nice things. Yeah, if you say something really nice, you can do four stars. But if you do under four stars, I will find you. It's over. Uh, we'll blacklist you from the RSS feed. John Luke, <laughs> where can people find you online? Uh, I am unfortunately on Twitter at Mountain Dew Liker, um, doing horrible posts all the time, all day, every day. Um, and I am on Letterboxd. I am JL Botbill if you want to follow my, uh, unfortunately really barren Letterboxd account because boy, it sure is starting to be election season and boy, <laughs> does that sure mean my free time is in the garbage. <laughs> Our, uh, usual co-host Alex can be found on Twitter at Alex Hansiak. I don't think he has any other things to plug at this moment. Uh, they were not listed in the doc, so I didn't have them to pull from. But, uh, if you would like to follow me on Twitter for some reason, you can do that at mpandanata, or you can follow me on Letterboxd at Pandabor or uh, Twitch, where I am still probably, as of the release of this episode, uh, doing a playthrough week by week of the Ace Attorney games. You can watch that at Pandabore on Twitch. And I do the following podcasts. Imagine Me and Yutena, the fresh podcast market, and That Looks Terrible. Imagine Me and Yutena, I do with Alice here. Uh, is both of our uh, first forays into podcasting, and we are still here. Alice, where can people find you online? Um, People can find me on Twitter at LiarWolf, which is L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. They can also find my wife and I's side project, which was been on kind of hiatus, but we're kind of... I'm working on some stuff for uh, SteppyCast, which is SteppyCast on Twitter. Big, Big Steppy is a show about real robots, cool robots, and real cool robots, which my wife is very proud of as, as a byline. It's a good tagline. 
It's a good tagline. Do you have- uh, we, we talk about Gundam mostly, but we also talk about Mecha some. And um, Mecha, like uh, how the House Atlantic became a Mecha at the end of... Uh... God, we gotta do a part two. Yeah, like how can we really... Four hours of every stupid thing that how we could, make... How could we have foolishly thought we could have contained uh, Co- Coheed and Cambria talked to one episode? Um, I could also be found on Instagram at Alice Rourke if you like minis. I'm going to start posting more. Um, I've got a lot of shit to paint. Yeah. And as motivation to work on all of that shit, I'm going to be posting works in progress. Nice. There more um, in the coming month or so. So um, if you want to see that. Nice. Well, that is, that is it for us this week. So, um... Goodbye. Alex chose the book for next week and he's not here, so I don't know what it is. I looked at the calendar. I don't remember what it's supposed to be. I don't either. Um, Oh, good. Something will come out. Uh, I think think we're reading some Silver Age Batman stuff, but I'm not exactly sure. I'm not exactly sure what. So, uh, you know, we'll get find out next time. We'll get there when we get there. Yeah. I didn't get to use our best sound clip uh, that I have in the soundboard. Shut the fuck up, John Luke. <laughs> there were so many times when you could have used it. I know, but I was I was so wrapped up in uh, the Amory Wars that I didn't think to tell you to shut the fuck up. If I do, do not leave and give my wife physical affection, she's going to. Oh, no, we're, we're I, I'm, I'm ending the podcast now. Before I go, I do have to ask, lightning round. What do you think of every album? Oh God. Okay. Uh, second stage. Show mine, second stage. Really like it. Has uh, they're they're still finding their identity, so it, it has some like weak tracks, but like everything evil, time consumer, great songs. Keeping secrets. Uh, keeping secrets. Possible, potentially my favorite uh, Coheed album. It's very close. Back into Forever is my favorite Coheed song. So, but good yeah, Apollo. I have too many words in my name. Uh, love it, but. Uh, the middle section drags, but the Willingwell suite is a masterpiece. No World for Tomorrow, also known as Dad Rock. Uh, like it, but uh, it drags. Uh, Black Rainbow, we talked about. We talked about. Afterman. Uh, really wish that they had continued pushing their sound forward after that one because they did a lot of new and interesting stuff on both Afterman albums that they never went back to. Um, too bad about Iron Fist, but what are you going to do? Uh, yeah. the, rest of the, album, the rest of those albums are great. I was really hoping that Iron Fist was the Iron Fist that existed in my head from interpretation was a lot <laughs> more charitable than it yep. should have been. Yeah. yeah. It sucks too because I love some of the lyrics and other lyrics in that song, but uh, yeah, too bad. It's just a weird list. Um, um, Color Before the Sun, hate it, no redeeming qualities. Uh, Island is really fun live, but uh, don't like the rest of it at all. And Vaxus One uh, came around on it a lot. Uh, since Hated it when it came out. Now, 
begrudgingly enjoy it. Uh, You've already mentioned Vaxxas too. Yeah. Yep. All right. I got what I wanted. Good. <laughs> oh, God. Good night, everybody.